0: And please turn with me in your Bibles now back to Acts chapter 12. Again, we considered this last week. Last week we focused upon that great contrast between the presence of King Herod and the power of King Jesus. This morning we're going to read the same text again, but continue on now through verse 19, and we're going to... Consider this passage from the other perspective, which is congregational prayer. You see there in verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, and then it's juxtaposed with what the church did. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. We're going to consider this morning the place of congregational prayer within the life of God's people. Now, much more could be said about private prayer, and the Word of God has many things to say about private prayer. Jesus commends both private prayer and corporate prayer to us in his own example, but this morning we're going to focus, as the text does, upon congregational prayer. And may it be that the Lord will stir us up to take hold of God in prayer. Let's give our careful attention to the Word of God, Acts chapter 12, verses one Through 19. This is the Word of God. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the passover to bring him out to the people so peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to god by the church now when herod was about to bring him out on that very night peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Amen. This is the word of God. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells his disciples a parable so that they will always pray and not lose heart. Jesus tells us explicitly the, par- the par- purpose of the parable is so that they would always pray and not lose heart. The parable is known to us as the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You get the point. Jesus desires that we will always pray and that we will never lose heart. Brothers and sisters, Jesus desires your prayers. Jesus desires that you pray persistently without losing heart. And particularly, Jesus desires that we pray continually, that we pray without losing heart, that we together as a congregation persist in prayer. Now, as we begin by considering. Jesus' call to us to persist in prayer, we need to acknowledge what Jesus himself implies with his parable, and that is this, praying is difficult. Jesus acknowledges that very idea by giving to us the parable of the persistent widow. He knows our frame, and he knows that we are going to struggle to persist in prayer. He knows that we will at times lose heart when it comes to prayer. In fact, think about Jesus and what he did in taking with him Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane. They could easily see that Jesus was heavily burdened. And he set them there to go to pray further himself, and he called upon them to watch and pray. They could see easily the seriousness with which Jesus set them there and called them to persist in prayer, to pray together. But you know what happened. Jesus comes back and he finds them sleeping. And he calls them again, watch and pray. And he goes and he prays. And he comes back and he finds them again sleeping. Three times this happens. And Jesus says to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows our frame and he knows the difficulty that we will find when it comes to persisting in prayer so given the fact that Jesus acknowledges that persisting in prayer is difficult how are we to pray what is it that God gives to us in his word so that we might according to Christ's will always pray and never lose heart how does God's word here this morning stir up our hearts To gather together for congregational prayer. Well, that's our consideration this morning. And we'll consider this text in four parts. Let's begin by considering first the motivation for congregational prayer. The motivation for congregational prayer. Here in our text, we see that the church is gathered together at an inconvenient time and in the face of great danger. Herod has just begun to lay violent hands upon some in the church, and this prayer meeting is taking place late at night and well into the early morning. And so, what is it that would motivate the church to pray in this way? Well, to begin with, they have a very powerful enemy. Herod has here decided to lay violent hands upon the church. He is politically motivated, posturing himself as the defender of the Jewish religion. And so when he sees that killing James garners him great favor with the Jewish people, he decides to do more. He arrests Peter, and he plans to execute Peter in a public, pronounced way to, to strike fear into the hearts of the Christian community. This is why the church gathers. They gather because they have a powerful enemy. They also gather for prayer because Peter is powerfully held captive. Back in chapter 5, all of the apostles are arrested. An angel of the Lord appears then and sets them free. They walk out of that prison. Well, Herod has no doubt heard about that earlier escape. And so here in our text, we see Herod taking extra precautions to keep from himself being embarrassed if Peter were to escape. This is why Peter is chained to two guards, so that any motion in the night might stir those two guards. This is why there are guards at the cell doors, guards throughout the corridors of this prison. Peter is heavily guarded because Herod is doing everything that he can to make sure that Peter does not escape. From a human perspective, Peter's escape is impossible. And so the church gathers together to pray. Third, the church prayed because of Herod's powerful aim. It's really interesting to see what Herod was aiming at here in our text. The text tells us that this was during the days of unleavened bread and that Herod was intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So what does this mean? Why does the text highlight the timing of it all? Well, when was Jesus crucified? It was during the days of unleavened bread. It was uh, it was after the Passover and here Herod hopes to crucify the leader of or I'm sorry to execute the leader of the New Testament church upon the anniversary of Christ's crucifixion. Herod is here hoping to demonstrate his own power over this rapidly growing sect of believers. And so, because of Herod's powerful aim, the church gathers together for prayer. In summary, we might say that the church gathered together for prayer because of their great and obvious need. We might look upon the church gathered together here in our text and ask, well, who wouldn't gather together for prayer under similar circumstances? Who would not gather together to pray if we were not in the same situation? Well, then the question then becomes for us, well, do we have reason to gather together for prayer? We might look here at this text and say, well, these were somewhat special circumstances. We might object and say, well, if one of our pastors were arrested, then we'd gather together for prayer. But we don't face the same kind of persecution. The early church was motivated to pray because of their great and obvious need, but we don't sense the same. Do we really need to gather together for congregational prayer? It's a real question, and I would answer that objection in three ways. First of all, I'd answer that objection with the words of Jesus himself. He told us that parable so that we would always pray and not lose heart. Jesus himself says that we need to gather together for prayer always. I would also answer that objection by saying, if we allow for this objection, it would be like the church Let's apply the objection to the early church. It would be like the church itself saying to Peter, Peter, you are arrested, but we are not. You go ahead and pray. We're experiencing peace. Peter, you're in danger. Why don't you go to God in prayer? We're not facing the same danger, so we're not going to spend our time in prayer. Brothers and sisters, we don't face persecution presently. Not, not at least to the degree that we see here in this text, but do not our brothers and sisters around the world? And are they not truly our brothers and sisters? Do we believe what the word of God says when it says, we belong to them and them to us? Should we excuse ourselves from corporate prayer because we are not presently persecuted? The present persecution of our brothers and sisters alone should, should motivate us to always gather together for corporate prayer. I would answer this objection in one more way. If we believe that we ourselves do not need congregational prayer, we reveal that we do not understand what God's word says about our, the nature of our lives in this world. That we do not take God at his word when he teaches us what the Christian life is really like. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what God's word says about our lives as Christians in the present. We are in a spiritual battle. Similarly, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If we say to ourselves, listen, we are at peace, we do not need prayer, we betray what God's word says to us. Each of these realities is enough to motivate us to prayer, but all of them apply equally. We know it is Jesus' will for us to always pray and not lose heart. We know that we have brothers and sisters around this world who are imprisoned just like Peter. And they need our prayers. And we are in a very real spiritual battle. And we are deceived if we believe that we do not need congregational prayer. Well, at this point, we need to go on to consider next the obstacle to congregational prayer. Because that too is revealed here in the text. And it is very much what we wrestle with today. Think about these believers gathered together for prayer. Think about their context. If we just go back a bit in time for these believers, we could think about Stephen. Stephen was arrested. He was put on trial. And then he was stoned. And it should, there should be no doubt that the church gathered together to pray for Stephen But he was still stoned. Backing up just to the beginning of this text, we see that James was also arrested. And if time allowed, we don't know for sure, but if time allowed, the church no doubt would have gathered together for Stephen's sake and to pray to God on his behalf. But Stephen died by the sword. I'm sorry, James died by the sword. And so now imagine these brothers and sisters, these believers gathering together Because Peter has been arrested. What sort of obstacle did they face in coming together for prayer? Well, quite obviously, the very first obstacle that they faced was unanswered prayer. Why gather together for prayer if Stephen was stoned? Why gather together for prayer if James died by the sword? These believers can look upon prayers that were not answered in the way that they desired. And those unanswered prayers are telling them that it's not worth their time now to gather together for prayer. So far, these prayers have gone unanswered. And so right now, the church faces the obstacle of unanswered prayer. Beyond this, the church also faced the obstacle of what seemed to be impossible circumstances. They can see that Peter has been imprisoned in such a way as to make his escape impossible. He is guarded as if he poses the greatest threat of escape. And so if the church uses their eyes to look upon Peter's imprisonment, they're going to see that it is impossible for him to be freed. So why gather together for prayer? It all seems so impossible. The church also faces the obstacle of their own personal weakness. They face the temptation that you and I face when it comes to congregational prayer. It goes like this. Why do I need to be there? I am only one person. Does it really matter whether or not I go to join with the church in prayer? At that time, we might even particularly be tempted not to go to congregational prayer because of our own sins. We know our own sins, and we say, look at my sins. Why should I go together and gather with God's people for prayer? These people faced the similar sort of temptation. These people faced their own personal weakness as an obstacle to gathering together for prayer. But in summary, we need to see that each of these are really just smaller parts of what is the obstacle to congregational prayer. Here I have identified three obstacles to congregational prayer, but in reality, these are just fruits that are born from the same roots. The root, the obstacle to congregational prayer is unbelief. That is the root, and that is the obstacle to congregational prayer. Each of these obstacles poses a real threat to congregational prayer because each of them seems to give real evidence against gathering together for prayer. Each of these add to why we might rationalize our way out of congregational prayer. Well, it's really good here to see that the early church struggled in these ways because it's easy to see these obstacles within each of our own hearts and lives. We face the very same obstacles to gathering together for prayer, do we not? We have opportunity to gather together for congregational prayer this afternoon at 445, each and every Lord's Day. We have further opportunities for congregational prayers on the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month in different homes around town. And what do we struggle with when it comes to gathering together for prayer? We struggle with unbelief. We struggle because we have prayed for things for years and years and years and we have not heard the answer that we desire. We look upon things like unbelieving children and we say, it's impossible, why go to pray? And then we think, it's just, I'm just one person. Or maybe I'm caught up in some sin. Why go now to congregational prayer? Brothers and sisters, the obstacle to congregational prayer is our unbelief. Unbelief is a real enemy. And I hope that you will see this morning how unbelief aims to keep you from one of the primary weapons that God has given you for this warfare in which you live. Your enemy does not want you gathering together with your brothers and sisters for prayer. Unbelief also aims to inhibit our corporate advance as we seek first the kingdom of God together by prayer. The church in the book of Acts was devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer as they were seeking first the kingdom of God throughout all of the various relationships of life. And they advanced the kingdom of God on their knees in prayer together. And unbelief is our enemy today. So consider Romans 4.20. Romans 4.20 helps us to see how we are to respond to unbelief. It says, of Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Let me just say that again. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I hope that you can see in Abraham, by the word of God, the relationship between unbelief and faith within the heart of a true believer. Abraham was wrestling against unbelief by faith. He struggled with the way things seemed. After all, he was 100 years old and his wife was well beyond childbearing years. God had promised them a child, but it did not seem like it would happen. How many years have their prayers gone unanswered? Why go to gather for prayer? I mean, if Abraham just looks at the state of things, it is naturally impossible for Sarah to conceive. So why go together for prayer? Abraham might look upon his own life too and see his own sin and say, who am I that God would hear my prayer? So what did Abraham do? Well, even though there was overwhelming evidence arguing for unbelief, He did not let his unbelief dictate what he did. Instead, he closed his eyes to all which seemed to argue against what God's word had said. He closed his eyes against all that argued against the promise of God and he walked by faith. He clung to the promise of God, and he used what God had said to push out of his mind every argument against God's word and every argument for unbelief. Which brings us to consider third, the key for congregational prayer. Why did these believers gather together for prayer? Again, on the one hand, they loved Peter. And they wanted to see him delivered from the hand of Herod. And they could see that Herod was about to strike a great blow to the church. Obviously, there was much here to motivate them to prayer. But then on the other hand, there were all of these obstacles that argued for unbelief. There was the very real unanswered prayers. There was the practicality of it all. It was dangerous and it was late. They gathered for prayer. Why did these ordinary believers gather together for prayer? Well, you already know the answer. The answer is because of faith. Their faith drove them to prayer. Their faith was put on display when they gathered together for prayer. Like their father Abraham, these believers would not allow any unbelief to make them waver concerning the promise of God. Instead, by faith they acted in accordance with the word of God. How did they do so? Well, in two ways. First, consider the power of God as revealed to them through the word of God. These believers are looking not to the way things seem out in this world, but they are looking to the Word of God to understand His power. And there, their faith is fixed. They begin in the Bible, God spoke all things into existence. He made all things of nothing. He flooded the entire world. He parted the Red Sea. Israel walked along on dry ground and then God destroyed their enemies by bringing those walls together. These people have been trained to understand God's power as they think about God providing for his people in the wilderness. They were given food each day. Their shoes and their clothes never wore out. He drove out their enemies from before them in the promised land. They saw God's power in his word. But furthermore, they saw how God powerfully answered prayer. They, they could think about the prophet Elijah. Pastor Sam preached on uh, Elijah for us, and the, this is fresh on our minds. The book of James says, you have a nature like Elijah. And Elijah prayed, and for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. It didn't rain again until he prayed again. God answered Elijah's prayers powerfully. Think about how Elijah went to battle with the prophets of Baal in prayer. They each had their own sacrifice. There were a hundred or so of these prophets of Baal and they are crying out from morning until afternoon that Baal might hear and answer with fire from heaven and nothing happens. And then Elijah has his own sacrifice soaked with water, making it appear impossible. And he prays. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the wood, everything, the water, it is all licked up in a moment. They see how God answers prayer. Furthermore, these believers could look back upon Jesus in his earthly ministry. They have heard how he fed thousands multiple times how he cast out demons that terrorized entire towns, Towns. how he made the lame to walk, the blind to see, he made the deaf to hear. And then they've even seen how Christ's ministry has continued even after his ascension. They have seen how the risen and exalted Christ has brought many thousands to saving faith through the preaching of the apostles how he has healed many through the hands of those same apostles, and how he took one like Saul, that primary persecutor of the church, and by his gracious power made him the primary preacher to the Gentiles. These believers can look back at God's power in his word these believers can look back in his word and see how God powerfully answers prayers. They can remember the power of God as displayed through Christ's ministry and even his ongoing ministry after his ascension. And so they can gather together for prayer because their faith is in God and his power as revealed in his word. But then... There's a second reason why these believers can pray by faith, and that is because they have been formed by the word of God. Deuteronomy 4.7 says this, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Think about this church. They sing the same songs that we sing, which are what? Sung prayers. Corporately sung prayers. And I'm just going to give you six references here. But think of how many times the Psalms train us to come to God in prayer, knowing that he will hear and answer. Psalm thirty-four, fifteen: the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and, he hear, and his ears toward their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 69, 33, the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Psalm 86, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you and you will answer. Psalm 102, this one's a little longer. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory, for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he look down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. In Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. These are a people who have been formed by the word of God. Their faith has been formed. And so imagine these brothers and sisters gathered together because Herod is planning to execute Peter. Imagine their fear of further persecution and all of the evidence begging for their unbelief. And then imagine them gathering together and shutting their eyes tight together, rehearsing instead the power of God in the past and singing of his promises to hear and to act. Think of them helping one another to be unwilling to let unbelief make them waver away from the powerful working of God through prayer. These believers gather together in prayer because of their faith in God and in the many promises that God attaches to prayer. They gather together for prayer because faith is the conviction or the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Jesus gave us that parable of the persistent widow so that we might always pray and not lose heart. At the end of that parable Jesus asks what is a very pointed question. He says nevertheless when the son of man returns will he find faith on the earth? 2 weeks ago at family camp Dr. David Whitlow referenced a study and there's multiple studies that say this but it says that the church in the west at least Statistically, gathers at a rate of around 10 to 25 percent for corporate prayer. When Jesus asks the question, "Will the Son of Man find faith on the Earth?" He's not just talking about faith in general. He has just given them the parable of the persistent widow. He gave it so that we might always pray and not lose heart. So he is talking about the prayer or I'm sorry, the faith rather that gathers together for prayer. Jesus knows that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows that we will have to battle unbelief in order to pray, and so he turns us to faith. The faith that Jesus desires to find when he, when he returns is that faith that will compel his people to gather together And to advance his kingdom together on our knees in prayer. The faith that Jesus desires to find is that faith that pushes God's people beyond the obstacles of unbelief, that sets the eyes of faith firmly upon God's pl- power, and that clings constantly to his promises and so prays. Faith is the key to congregational prayer. And so may we, even now, as we are hearing the word of God preached, may we begin praying in each of our hearts. Now, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith that we might be a praying people. And may he do so. May he answer that prayer even now as we examine, finally, the result of congregational prayer. What happens in response to congregational prayer ought to be hidden in our hearts and used as motivation to go to congregational prayer. And I don't just mean in the powerful response of Christ to those prayers, but rather the powerful response of Christ to those prayers with what may have happened at that prayer meeting. Let me explain. What happened in response to that congregational prayer? Well, the Lord Jesus sent in his angel, and he powerfully rescued Peter. His, his chains fell off. The guards all stood by silently. Gates opened before them. The city gate opened in obedience to Christ, and the Lord Jesus sent his messenger to simply walk Peter out of that impossible situation. The whole thing is so surreal that Peter can't even believe that what's going on is real. But then, when he's left there out on the street alone, he finally comes to himself and he says, Wow, God just delivered me. And so, when he comes to himself, he travels to Mary's house where the church is gathered together for prayer. He knocks upon the door, Rhoda comes to answer. She hears Peter's voice and she is so overjoyed that she leaves him there and runs to go tell all of the others, Peter's here. God has answered our prayers. And they say, knock it off, Rhoda. You're out of your mind. She persists, no, 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 you're not hearing me. Peter is outside and they say, no, Rhoda, it must be his angel." Here the people of God are gathered together for the sake of Peter. And when he's standing outside, when God has heard and answered, they don't believe it. Why? Why won't they believe? Well, I believe it's for two related reasons. First of all, it may have been that they were praying what we might call reasonable prayers. We don't know what they prayed for doesn't tell us. But it may have been that they were praying, Lord, comfort Peter in his imprisonment. Lord, be near to Peter as he is executed. We don't know exactly what they were praying for, but their response seems to say that they were not praying for Peter's release. Perhaps they were just gathering to pray battling unbelief, and they didn't even know exactly what to pray for. Which brings us to the second reason that I believe they struggled to believe that God has answered their prayers. And that is because the Lord Jesus has just done far more abundantly than all that they could ask or think. Jesus has done far more than they were even willing to pray for for. Now again, we don't know exactly what they prayed for. It could have been that they prayed for exactly what ended up happening, but their response does seem to indicate that they might not have even been praying for Peter's release. They are shocked at what happens. But we need to let this sink in. Because if we do, it will encourage us. It will be used by us to battle unbelief when it comes to going to God in congregational prayer. Because they gathered together, battling unbelief, perhaps not even knowing exactly what to pray for and what happened. Jesus did far more abundantly than they could even ask or think. God's using congregational prayer is not dependent upon the power of our prayers, but rather upon Jesus Christ who will use our weak, stumbling, wrestling prayers to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. So I want you to use your imagination a little bit. What will the Lord Jesus do when we gather together for prayer? What will Jesus do if we as a congregation gather together, wrestling against unbelief, weakened because of unanswered prayer, struggling to come by faith, but coming by faith nonetheless? What will Jesus do through our prayer? Because my guess is if we could only see how he will answer those prayers in a way that is far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine, if we could only see it, we would not let anything keep us from congregational prayer. But you see, God has so ordered our lives that we are to glorify him by coming to congregational prayer by faith. And here he gives us his word to show us how congregational prayer works so that we will come by faith, trusting in him to glorify his own name. Brothers and sisters, it is Christ's will that we gather together for prayer. The book of Acts presents the church as devoted to prayer. And then the Apostle Paul carries that themes into each of his letters. Just some examples, Romans 12, he commands, be devoted to prayer. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it. Remember, this is not you individual believer do this. Although it does apply, we are to do this individually. This is to the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, our call to worship this morning. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Who will be converted because we gather together for prayer? Who will be Delivered from persecution because we gather together for prayer. Who will be strengthened to endure? Who will be set free from besetting sin? Who will be kept from giving in to despair? Who will be protected? Who will be rescued? Who will be encouraged? Who will be impacted because of congregational prayer? Brothers and sisters, let us look this morning to God's powerful working through congregational prayer. And let us be encouraged. Because it's not about our strength in prayer, but the fact that we come to Christ in prayer. And he is the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. Let us see this in the word of God and commit ourselves to congregational prayer. Because the need is great. The obstacle is real. The key is provided for us richly in Christ. And the results will matter in eternity. So let us commit ourselves to congregational prayer. Let us go to God now in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we come to you now as a congregation in prayer. And we thank you that... As you reveal in your word that it is your desire that we always pray and not lose heart, that you also give to us your word to stir us up to pray. Lord God, you know us better than we do. And you understand the way in which we struggle with unbelief when it comes to prayer. Lord, you know how tempted we are to lose heart. How we struggled with what appears to be to us unanswered prayer. How we struggle because we tend to think in terms of possible and impossible. Even though your word says, with all things, with God, all things are possible. Lord, we ask that you would give us a vision as we look here into your word of what you do through congregational prayer of how you do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. And may we store this into our hearts and bring it out every time we are called to gather together for prayer. Lord, encourage us that it's it's not about what we do in our own earthly wisdom in prayer, though may our prayers be according to your word. But rather, it is what you do to put your power on display through our weakness. Answering when your church is devoted to prayer. Lord, we pray that you would do this. That this word of yours would form our hearts. That you would make us into a praying people. Lord, we pray not just for ourselves as a congregation. But we think about the church as a whole, Lord, those statistics that reveal that your people in the West pray at a rate of ten to twenty five percent as a congregation rather than at a rate of a hundred percent. Lord, will you cause us to be a praying people here? And will you use our prayers to cause others to join together in prayer as well? Lord, give us faith. The disciples prayed, Lord, increase our faith, and we pray as disciples, Lord, increase our faith. Will you stir us up and help us by faith to come to you in prayer? We thank you that we even pray this now to the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine according to that power that is at work within us. So we pray this now in the name of Christ. Amen.